You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the show. Stu Goldsmith here. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. And today I'm very pleased to be speaking to Harriet Kemsley, who is not a clown, despite how clowny her show is. She has a wonderful, wonderful sense of herself. And she's one of those people that you just she walks on and you think, ah, we're going to be fine. She's got funny bones. She has this incredibly infectious kind of giggle at herself. I put it like that, it sounds annoying. It's very far from annoying. It's absolutely, it, it's really, it kind of welcomes you into what she's doing. I'm a huge fan of hers, and this is a cracking conversation. Uh, there are 15 or 20 minutes extra uh, on this conversation if you would care to take yourself to the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And if you do that, you will find out uh, a bit about Harriet's process for the roast of her husband, fellow comedian Bobby Mayer, and her appearance on Live at the Apollo. And we'll discover how she's aging into her persona and why men often assume she needs some sort of help from them. Uh, all of that in the extras, but for now, let's get stuck into this really excellent and uplifting conversation with the wonderful Harriet Kemsley. Welcome to the podcast, Harriet Kemsley. Hello. Great to have you. You're in Cardiff in a hotel room. Are you in Cardiff for gigging Yes, reasons? I'm at Cardiff Glee this weekend. Um, so um, I'm staying... Actually, the hotel is not as bad as I remember it. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very telling sentence about comedy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kalukale, the hotel's not as bad as I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you are, I've only just this second remembered, heavily yes, pregnant. Yes, yeah, six months pregnant at the moment. So, yeah. Oh, my God. When are you planning to gig up until? We shouldn't start by talking about your pregnancy. I'm sorry. That is a crashing <laughs> No, it's fine. To, I mean, it's very much say. what's happening at the moment. Um, I, I don't really know. I don't know how these things work. I think in the last couple of weeks, the plan is to stay within an hour of London because I don't want to suddenly be somewhere and then realise I have to drive back while starting to give birth. So to stay within a, a radius of yes. London. Um, but then it's, um, it's going to be around... I mean, you never know. This is the problem. You can't plan at all. It's just going to do what it wants to do. But um, I think um, Christmas is going to be um, a time off anyway. So we will just okay. see what yeah, happens. Yeah, for sure. I loved your show at Edinburgh. You're this kind of wonderful kind of bubbling clowny energy, which conceals loads of really well-written, punchy jokes. All of that stuff we'll get into. It's just occurred to me, I've never asked anyone this. What's it like gigging whilst pregnant? It's- like what's it what's it it's like? It's actually really fun because 
the audience. The first few months were hard because I wasn't talking about it. And stand up, it feels like it's such an important thing that you're honest. And so it felt so weird hiding it from people. Um, And then when I could tell people, it was so fun because I think people don't expect it at all. And when you say it, generally, people clap and they're really excited. And then you... I think it just gives you an extra thing to play with. It's quite fun. Excellent. Excellent. So let's zero in on that as we start doing a proper fucking interview. It's so important to be honest. Talk to me about that. Um, well, I think I think they can tell if, um, if you're lying or if you don't mean something that you're saying. Uh, they're, um, they're very good at that. So it felt... And I think also I find it really hard not to be honest. Um, I just... I kind of have to say what I think or just not speak. So it's uh, it's a difficult balance. <laughs> is that is that just purely on stage? Is that in life uh, generally? Yeah, I would I would say that. It's like I was um I, I was raised to be like being polite was very important and being nice and so um that would I think that led to some crossfire in my brain where I, I I was so shy when I was younger and I think it's because I was so worried about saying the wrong thing um and what's okay. so been so good about comedy is that the more you say the wrong thing the more fun it is and the more you say how you actually feel and so that's been a really good learning journey I think in myself as well as doing stand-up Okay. And those sort of things, like, I mean, I said kind of clowny, and I think of you as kind of clowny, because those things, those, um, those kind of principles you talked about, saying the wrong thing, being really honest, those are more the kind of clowny end of stand-up. Yeah, well, I did do a clown course, and I very much um, was not a clown. Um, and because uh, <laughs> I, I, I went to, when I first started, I went to Paris um like six months in and did the month with um, Philippe and uh, we got on really well but I think it was within the structure of being a clown I just couldn't get it to work at all and he was like we had a lot of fun but it was like I'm never I just couldn't understand what that was Um, and then I did the course with you with the um, the Dr Brown one which was I just I think Philippe had always given me um like a bit of space and understood that I, I couldn't really do it, but whatever I was doing was fine and then, uh, in my own weird way. But then with, I just couldn't understand the concept. Um, and so that was, um, that was really hard. So I'm very much not a clown, um, whatever a, a cl- an actual clown is. I'm not that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to flatter myself that I know something about comedy, and I think you are. I have to say, I didn't remember that you were on that course with Dr. Brown because I was too busy crashing and it burning over and over horrible. again. It was horrible. With Philippe, it was so fun. And like, it just, it was like, I'm never going to actually be a clown and know what that is. But then with Dr. Brown, I just felt like I was letting him down all the time. And whenever I tried to do the actual things, I couldn't do it. And on the last day, I actually, um, I actually walked out of there and walked... Um, I always used to get lost in Soho and there's this dead end bit and I walked into the dead end bit and then just stood there and just cried against a wall because I was like I just I just can't do it and it felt so important early on to to be able to do these things and to to know what that is um but I think embracing the fact that I'm not in whatever box that is is um is fine 
I think that's fascinating to me because I think you mentioned uh, Golier on on stage and in the Edinburgh show, and not <laughs> yes. in a very not in a very sort of positive context. <laughs> yes. um, and and I think um, I think at the time I went ah that's it she's gone to pa- I mean I didn't you didn't mention the timing or anything and I'd seen you like years ago I hadn't seen one of your hours and that that hour that, that I just saw this year is the, the first one I've seen. Um, and I, I thought to me, the little narrative I wrote in my head was, oh, she went and did the thing with Philippe and then she cracked it because what I'm seeing here is precisely that. It's like you are being really honest and really yourself and you're offering loads and loads. And you've like the way you come on and you almost come on laughing at yourself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you, it's almost in, in whenever I've seen clips of yours, you always say hello by going, yeah, hello. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you like, and it's just so delightful and infectious, but, and honest as well. It's like you're, you're really caught up in the, the present moment of how silly this all is. And that to me is like pure clowny stuff. So that's fascinating to hear that you are like me, someone who felt like oh, I never got it. It was torture and it made Absolutely me Absolutely didn't get it. And the, the Philippe course was good. That was, I just did a month. Like I couldn't have done longer than that. So I just did a month and um, it was, um, it was, it was really fun. And I think it was really good at bringing out that playfulness. But I mean, there were years afterwards when it was still trying to work out how it worked with stand up. And I think I did, I read somebody said like, you shouldn't, laugh when you're on stage and so I tried that for ages and then that that didn't work at all so that was that was really painful and then it's just it's just the more you do it the more you kind of but it's it's been like over 10 years now of trying to work out who you are on stage um yeah yeah that's a really I'm 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 kind of pleased to hear that. I'm obsessed with who I am on stage and constantly feel like like that's part of the attraction is that I'll never really know and it's an yeah. insoluble problem and I'm constantly chipping away at it. It's like the one statue that you build for your yeah. whole life is to just continually keep, oh, is it that? Is it that? Is it that? So I like hearing that other people are kind of still on that journey. Do you think you, do you feel like there's an end point to it? To it? Do you feel like, You've cracked it now. Um, no, I never think I've cracked it. And if I was to say that I'd cracked it, then I would absolutely fall on my face. Um, so I will never <laughs> say that okay, I have fair cracked enough, fair it. Enough. That, was, that ended up being yeah. a trick question. Do you I didn't think mean you've that. But, but... Stand up? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. But I think I definitely, um, the last few years, uh, I think I've worked out much better how to present myself or how to, I, I think for a long time, it was very touch and go as to whether I could get across who I was. And I think it's got so much easier now to be able to do that. So you're, so it's about, and again, this is a fixation of mine. It's about taking things out of your way. Like, you know, do you think you're being, do you think that the quest has been to be as funny on stage as you are off stage with your mates? Yes. Like to be your truest sort of self. Absolutely. And it's always a heightened version of it. But um, but yeah, ab- absolutely. Just to be, I think, your unfiltered real self. And I, the problem is, I just as like doing the Philippe course and the the Dr. Brown course and listening to other people, I, I I was constantly trying to find out how to do it. And actually, you just have to do it, and you just have to. But it's so confusing because sometimes you'd do it and then people would laugh and you'd be like, oh, that's it. And then you'd go and do another gig and then people wouldn't get it. And you'd be like, how am I meant to work this out? <laughs> and so I'm interested in those 
like the 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 problems with that, the challenge of that, because I I totally agree with you. That's the that's the game. That's that's what you have to do. But I also recognise how infuriating that advice must be to hear from the outside if someone's at the beginning of that journey. You know, it's so it's such intangible advice. You've got to be yourself, man. Do you know what I mean almost? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a first of that. Yeah, and you don't you don't know what that is, but it's you don't have to even really worry about that. It's just about doing it and going on stage over and over and over again I think um and then just like picking up clues and also realizing that some gigs you shouldn't base who you are on from them like if it's if it's chaos then it's not really a gig do you know what I mean yeah and so I think that sometimes I'd be like oh that doesn't work if I do that but it's like it's it's not really a gig it's a load of stag dudes that just want people to be mean to them. Who do you think that you are to us when we see you on stage? Like, how do we, what's your, what's your instinct that, like, how do we feel about you? How do we, how do we relate to you? Who do we see you as? Oh my God, I've never even thought about that <laughs> before at all. I think, I think, I try not to think about that too much because when I started, I was so worried that people didn't want to listen to what I had to say and that I was taking up people's time um and so I think I try not to think about what other people think of me too much because otherwise I'll get really in my head um does that make sense yeah totally I think about it too much and I get really in my head yeah because for so long I was just like oh god like if it wasn't going well I just I'd just panic and I'd just think oh these poor people are trying to have a nice time and I don't know that I've ever looked at an audience and thought these poor people (laughs) is is that gendered do you think that sense of like I'm taking up their time Uh, I I can't think of many male comics who've been on the show who've said to me I'm worried about taking up their time yeah I think it's and it's not universal but I think it's definitely something that is a gendered thing that generally you are raised to be polite and not speak out of turn um and so doing stand-up is literally the opposite of that and so it's very difficult to let go of people's feelings while you're doing it um yeah but now I do, I I I care much less and they're having a better time so yeah <laughs> it's weird can't be a coincidence yeah um so let's talk about the very beginning of your career. Something I have heard about you is that you've had quite an insane life. <laughs> I've been I've been talking to my spies. <laughs> that's um, let so me, weird. Uh, let me. Uh, what? Da, 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 da. Her entire life is ridiculous. <laughs> it does feel that she couldn't have done anything but this. Uh, I well, that is that is. Yeah, I think that that might be accurate. It's um, I it, well. Yeah, there was nothing else I could really do, especially not um, serious things because I make mistakes so much. So the implications could be (laughs) quite extreme (laughs) if I was to have some kind of power. Um, But um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't know about stand up. It wasn't really something that crossed my radar. I always wanted to do acting and like serious acting and I was obsessed with it but then I would 
I just kept getting cast in comedy roles or I would do something that was meant to be serious and people would laugh. And I'd be like, this is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is weird. And I also didn't always feel that I fit in with actors. Like they'd say things about plays and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or then I'd repeat what they said to somebody else and then somebody else would disagree with it. And I'd be like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I'm just trying to get the right thing across. Um, and um, so... So that wasn't really working out, but I, I, I did some things with the National Youth Theatre and some things like that, but I, I tried for drama school for quite a while and then I just, they kept saying you need more life experience, but I didn't really know what that was. And I think I would always try and seem very together and just really try and hide who I actually was. Um, and I'm actually so glad that none of that worked out because in stand-up I kind of found a world where... I fit in and people whose brains are very similar to yours. Yeah. Did you, where, where did that impulse come from? The um, wanting to get into, wanting to do drama school? Was it a sense of like, like an alternative lifestyle, like not a real job? Or was it the sensation that you, that you kind of wanted to be famous or that you wanted to be the centre of attention? Like what was the initial impulse there? I think since I was really young, I started doing acting stuff and I was, so painfully shy that I speaking to somebody particularly an adult was like impossible like I'd say how are you and they'd respond and I'd be like I'm out I don't I don't know I don't know where I go from here I don't know what to do and I'd just panic and so going on stage and having a script it was a way of me um being myself and being like there is more to me that I just can't get out um and I just loved it and I just couldn't I wasn't particularly good at school. I'm not very good at focusing on things that I don't really care about. And so that became everything and I became quite obsessive with it. So it was never really another option of doing anything else. Um, But then through that, I... um, So yeah, I I was struggling for a bit in my 20s. I was at university and um, it was a miserable time and I didn't make any friends. And um, it (laughs) it was really rough. Um, but um, but then I finished it and I just didn't know what to do. And then my parents had been watching live at the Apollo the night before and they were like, ridiculous things always happen to you and you always have like the stupidest stories about things that are funny. And because I could be myself with them, like they knew me very well and they were like, you should go and try stand up. And I was like, this is mad. Like, I don't know what that is. And I have yet to meet another comic whose parents have suggested it. I was going to say, that's another completely unique origin story. <laughs> Nobody else. Everyone else's parents Your have like high expectations. you should try it. Yeah, they were like, yeah, which I think is, is so, I think they regret it now. Um, no, but they, uh, <laughs> they're, it's so sweet and so um, understanding of them to, to have seen that and to encourage that. Like I, I haven't, I haven't seen anybody else that's had that, that's had that story. I mean, also, I think they knew there's not there's not many other options. Well, this so this thing about you making mistakes and stuff. I know you have dyspraxia. Yes. And and the little I know about that is it's like a physical version of dyslexia. Yes. So it kind of manifests as clumsiness. Is that is that right? Or yeah, clumsiness, and then your your thinking can get a bit confused um, and um, uh, things like that. Yeah, just basically like medical clumsiness. 
So this to me sounds a bit like a Mr. Men story where <laughs> there's someone who like has a challenge that they do. And the, the arc of the story is, you know, Mr. Bump ends up wandering. He always has accidents. So he gets a job wandering around bumping into trees. So the apples fall down. And he can pick the apples and you go, there we go. Perfect. So the story of Little Miss, as unfortunate title, <laughs> Little Miss Harriet, is that you are kind of clumsy. You don't fit in, but you have a kind of sort of a, an idea about enjoying it, not so much being the centre of attention, but um, kind of being a, being given licence to get it wrong. Yes, I think so. And I think also a way of expressing who I really am underneath it, like underneath the like need to try and seem really together to people and to try and um, be polite and be nice and like not make a mistake, that there's another side of me that could come out with stand-up where I was actually myself away from all the um all the need to try and act like I have things together which made me come across as um I I don't even know is that because you said you didn't make any friends at university (laughs) is that and and that because no No, I mean I'm so interested in that (laughs) (laughs) but is that I'm interested is that because you you were trying to have it together like were you trying too hard what did you have a theory as to why that was yeah well I was just as I said I was very I was very shy and so if I know people I could be myself but it just took so long to get to that stage with people um and so it's it's the same with stand-up it's like just like being yourself but and and stand-up has helped me to do that more quickly um but yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really know what happened. I am, um, I was living in London. I wasn't living on, um, on campus, and I just, it just didn't really work out. But I kept going with it, and I finished the degree. Um, but I was trying to do like plays at the same time and work at the same time. Um, and I just, I've just never been very good at starting conversations with people because I feel like they're gonna be, um, like annoyed. <laughs> So it was uh, very difficult. I think now I would be fine, but I mean, then I'd, I'd be going to university quite late. But at that time, I um, I just I just didn't know how to how to meet people unless they were coming to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But then comedy has given you kind of what has it given you? Is it given you sort of license? Has it given you a, like an appreciation? for yourself and for your like for the value in getting things wrong yeah I I think absolutely I think all of all of that in um in just seeing embracing like the funny side of things rather than feeling so pained and embarrassed when things go wrong to embrace it yeah So this is Harriet. Tremendous fun to talk to her. I feel like I say that all the time, but I suppose I only have people on the show who are tremendously fun to talk to. So that's fair. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've thrown myself a bit there. <laughs> is that am I being am I being too honest? I just with this relentless noticing, I just noticed. I think I almost always come on at this point. I know I always come in with so this is name of guest, and then I often start by saying something like. Oh, lovely talking to this person. But the the truth is, it is. She is just effervescent and just full of 
whatever it is, isn't it? That kind of magical quality that you go, I really want to hear what this person has to say. And it was such a joy to see her at the monkey barrel and have that kind of uplift from the audience, a sort of frisson beforehand of like, we're all excited to be here. She walks on and there's just that kind of, that sort of triumphant, yeah, this is our person. In. Well, that, she's got that in spades. So more from Harriet in just a second. And remember, uh, 20 minutes of extra content available exclusively to you if you're in the Insiders Club, which you can join. If you're not, um, you can join for £2 a month minimum or as much as you like and everyone gets the same stuff. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to find out all about Harriet's process for the roast of Bobby Mayer, her husband, uh, and also her, or the roast battle with Bobby Mayer, I should say, um, and Harriet's recent appearance on Live at the Apollo. And I booked her without knowing she she was going on that and later on uh, in the next few weeks we've got Adam Rowe who I also booked without knowing he was going on it and now I look like some kind of star fucker apologies um, also on the Insiders Club as you know we've got the recent Insiders Q&As with Nish Kumar James Acaster Fern Brady and Alfie Brown and the incredible self-help for comedians special with psychologist Amanda Donnett so all of that is um, psychologist I don't know if that's what Amanda is she's a psychotherapy therapist therocologist she does uh, what I annoy my wife uh, by referring to as Feza. <laughs> so a bit of that uh, coming up if you're in the Insiders Club and uh, all of the other, you know, I'm in access to everything now. It's hundreds and hundreds of hours of constant chat. So if that's what you're in the need for, or if you don't want to utilise any of the extra content, you just think you've been listening to this for years whether you have or not, as long as you think you have, that's fine, um, and you would like to support the show, then you can do that. Of course, I know you always forget to point this out, you also get ad-free episodes. You get your whole podcast feed, all the extras in one place, all the ad-free episodes in one place, so sign up if you fancy it. Thank you to everyone who has done that recently and to whom I have not yet replied. These include such wonderful people as Abhishek, uh, Beth, Stephen, Matthew, Sandra, A, whoever A is, Ian, um, and who else? Johnny as well. Thank you. Those are all the people who've just joined up uh, in the last couple of weeks. So it's, that was particularly pleasing, given that at the time, uh, the show, we were on a summer break. So it was lovely just towards the end of summer. People joined up as if to say, come on, make more stuff. So here we are. We're also going to do more insider Zooms. I'm going to set one up with um, lovely Tom Neenan. We're just going to sort of talk about our favourite jokes, because there isn't much about jokes that Tom Neenan, uh, showrunner for The Mash Report, doesn't know. Or oh, The Mash. What is it now? Late Night Mash. Late Night Mash. It's a different kind of mash. Um, but as far as I understand it, Tom Neenan is still the showrunner. So um, oh, that's the sort of thing I should check, isn't it? Let's let's just say yes, he is. Oh, fine. Let's go with that. So uh, more from Harriet now, and then I'll whiffle at you at the end. All right. Here's Harriet. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. 
what's your take on kind of ambition within comedy? If comedy to you is, and I don't know if this is primarily, but that's part of the question. If, if it is primarily to you something which makes sense of you and makes sense of the world and gives you a role and gives you, makes you feel good about how you relate to the world, then I, I guess my assumption is that you're approaching it in a very different way to a kind of game plan comedian who's like, I need this, I need this much stuff to be happy, I've got this, I need this level of success. Do the, what's the kind of relationship between ambition and the feeling that you fit? I think there's a constant fear that you're not going to be able to do it anymore. And I think that keeps you wanting to progress uh, because it feels like it could be taken away at any moment. Um, and Can I just stop? Why, why does it feel like it could be taken away? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I just, But it just feels like, oh, you know, like it won't, you won't be able to continue or you won't be able to make enough money from it in... Like you'd need five, to bail out and get a real and job. And, need, yeah, okay. yeah, and then it's... Or that things... And that you love what you do and so you want to be able to keep doing it and, I don't know, still be involved in it. And it feels like that's a treacherous thing. Um, it's hard to have faith in it, I guess. Um, and so that's... I guess you're propelled by fear. Um, and... Yeah. You, you said there was another one and I interrupted you. I hope I haven't lost it. No, I just, I, you're just propelled by a fear that it's going to go away. And I think whenever I've tried to be ambitious or have a game plan, it's absolutely doesn't happen. It's so it's, it's better just to focus on the stand up and just keep writing new things and making new things and, I feel like you can't actually control the other things that come along at all. And at the beginning, maybe I'd try to, I'd be like, oh, I'll try and achieve this goal. And I don't actually really have power about that. All I have power about is trying to get better at stand up. Yeah. And so when you mentioned writing, when it comes to the writing what's changed in how you started to how you write now? Because that's kind of an observation I made at the beginning and I absolutely thought of, of your Edinburgh show is that it you seem so kind of... Casual isn't the word. It's not the word, but it's like you seem natural, like really natural, like you're just saying some things and, and like telling us about your life and we're laughing. And then I just found myself going, wait a minute, this is absolutely full of really well-written jokes. But I'm just laughing. But there's so much personality. I feel like you're just saying things, and I'm laughing at them. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's so nice. Thank you. It's um, uh, yeah. I love jokes. I really um, I really love that, and I wish I could write them faster. And but it's just. I mean, it just takes forever, doesn't it? But I do. I do love jokes, and I think. I've got better at presenting them, maybe. Uh, what was the question? Well, how- I, was, I kind of, I jumped ahead because I, I suppose I'm asking, how has your writing process changed from the beginning till now? We haven't yet really established what your writing process was yes. at the beginning. Let's do that first. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know if there really was one. I Because I didn't know anything about stand-up. So my, my parents had been like, go and do stand-up and... I didn't really know what that was, so I Googled it, and then it said, like, you need five minutes. And so then I started to watch some things, and I started to write. I think at the beginning it was just, like, 
things that had happened to me that were maybe amusing but not necessarily quite jokes and then I went on stage and did it and I got enough laughs and things that it and it was like it was like this secret world had opened up this like nighttime world it was I mean it was just mad um but um what was but how do I yeah so I, I don't really know I wish I had a process I think basically I have a thought and then I write it down and then at some point I try and sit with the thought and then try and structure it or think around it and then I go on stage and keep trying it and then sometimes other people like Bobby can be very helpful and be like the way you said that doesn't quite make sense so like Mm -hmm. it's very helpful to have somebody else look at it and say that that word it doesn't make sense because they don't I, I know what you're trying to do but they haven't quite got it um and so he he's very helpful with that and being like you need to say this word instead to get across to them what you're trying to say yes gotcha okay and so when you when you because I, I I spoke to Bobby Bobby's been one of my spies <laughs> as well for this and he said in particular he said you have pure dedication and willingness to sit with a blank page and do the work um that has it, it goes through stages when I started it was that I had to do that but I I have especially at the beginning it was incredibly difficult to sit with my thoughts and sit at a blank page without just feeling like the world is ending because all the thoughts come into your brain about how awful you are and so to sit with a page was excruciatingly painful and that has got easier the longer I've done it and the more I've tried to the more my confidence is built and the more I've like put trust in it um but um but that is that is very much something that's been learned the ability to sit down and cope with all of the negative yes like the self-criticism I can't do this have you got any particular techniques for doing that um no for like fending off the criticism well when I when I started uh it was very difficult to especially when I, I I left my job like really gradually. And so when I would have days off, it would just be like tired from gigging in the night and then uh, working. And then when I did completely give up my job, then it was like, how would you ever get up in the morning? Because there's nothing to get up for. And so I had to build a routine. And I read somewhere that um, <laughs> this person went, f- like pretended to walk to work. And so I did that for a while where I'd, leave the house and like walk <laughs> walk in a I big love circle it. Oh, I love that and then come back because otherwise I I just wouldn't be very focused so I'd leave and I'd go for um <laughs> I'd trick myself I was going for a walk but then I'd just come back to where I started and um then just sit down and I think trying to write for too long is a is a mistake uh probably not for most people but for me Uh, and so to just try and do like an hour or something most days which I haven't done recently but generally if I don't have anything on that day to get up and just sit for an hour or so and work on something then I feel so much better like I've achieved something and done something and also got thoughts out of your brain and it's um it's much better but the the thing I find the best with writing is when 
it's the best when you do like a panel show or something and they send you a pack and you have yeah. all the all the information there and like that's what I love because then you can write jokes from that whereas if you just have to sit there and you don't know what you're going to write about or you end up googling something and then you google something else and then the whole day's lost but if you just have like I would really love somebody just to give me a pack every morning that would be really, that'd be really helpful <laughs> you could totally do that you and a fellow comic could swap packs every morning <laughs> I think that, that's really good that's not a million miles away I don't think from what Joel Domit and Steve Dunn started doing where they like each day they had to text each other five ideas and they did that for over a year yeah and that's so great. actually that's a really good little kind of trick because I think um as well, it's interesting, just do an hour. I think I used to punish myself by going, right, I'm going to do three hours work this morning. Yeah, and, and I can't, just be you can't torture. do it. Yeah, your brain just can't, I mean, maybe some people's brains can, but my brain can't focus for that long. And so then you're just, um, you just feel like a failure every day. Yeah. And I don't think I'd realised at the time that everyone's way of doing it is different. I remember hearing like someone, I think someone said that, uh, Harry Hill used to kind of turn in a show. They'd go, right, it's time to write a new show. And he'd go home for a week and then he'd come and just turn up with a script and go, there's the show. And I thought, oh God, I've, God. Got to, I've got to be able to do that, which is yeah. insane, particularly when you look at the quality of the sort of short, brilliant, absurdist jokes he writes. And it's probably not true anyway. Like everything, <laughs> like everything people say to each other in green rooms, yeah. it's probably absolute bullshit. Yeah, but it's I, like I that got... thing of people working like nine to five, like they see it as a day job. And I'd be like, I, I can do... 11 till 12 and then I need to break and so but that's actually all you need with stand-up if you're writing even if you write one joke a week and that's a good joke and you try it out on stage like that is actually enough for a show by the end of the year and so to see it like that is so much easier totally and I think the other trap I used to fall into was feeling like if I'd written enough I like well I'll write five pages and then sure you end up with five pages of absolute bollocks (laughs) rather than what I try and do now is I'll go for a walk because I find it gets me into a nice meditative sort of state I'll go for a walk listen back to a previous gig and then just say oh something will occur to me I'll make a short note in my phone yeah that is writing yeah. that's writing and I never thought I was like oh no no that doesn't count that's not writing I'm like no that's the good bit one good one genuinely good naturally occurring idea made a note of it's just worth five pages of absolute horseshit that it took you three hours of tears to absolutely produce. agreed yeah so you're so this thing about can you give me an example of when you've been sent of, of some sort of nugget that you've been sent in a packet from a panel show that you've gone oh there's a thing and like can you remember the journey of going of getting to a particular joke. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, think of a journey. Um, hmm, I don't know. I think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be specific enough because I can never remember where things come from. But if it's it, it, just having the information written down, especially the way they do it, they have like weird facts or information and just seeing it written down like that is very helpful um it's also how I've been writing my show a little bit I'm writing a show kind of about the beauty industry at the moment and so reading kind of books about a lot of facts or uh uh, things from the past that are just a weird fact that then you can think about how that affects you or or it will bring up a story or something that you then can write down whereas just sitting there and thinking I have to write something it could be anything is the worst feeling in the world yes for sure 
Um, Not the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> about <laughs> yeah. In context, protection. In context, there's the much worse feelings, yes. <laughs> um, so let's talk about kind of content of your shows. Now, the show, I suppose that I most regret missing of yours, having looked at, you know, your kind of back catalogue, is Slutty Joan. And I remember the posters for Slutty Joan. But Slutty Joan is a... a That's the first time, I think, and I I might be wrong on the timeline here, but kind of looking back at reviews of previous shows of yours, um, it feels like that was one where you kind of cracked talking about a specific thing, pulling loads of ideas about it and shaping it. Yes, I think um, I'm so stupid. I had no idea about structure. So my first show, it was literally like from when I was a baby to now. And I didn't. <laughs> I didn't That's so guileless. I love it. <laughs> I didn't know. And so everyone. Harriet Kemsley, the first 25 years. <laughs> yeah, it literally was that. Two minutes on each year. Yeah, it was that. And everybody was like this. And so if. And so I would have nights when it would go great because it, it was jokes, but because it wasn't like hung on anything or um, sometimes like it was at the Pleasance and you'd get quite like a theatre crowd, it just must have looked mad. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, I just didn't get it. And I still, I still structure is very much not something I am good at or seeing something as a whole. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it took quite a few shows like I think that was my my third show that's what I wrote about um dyspraxia and that um and that did much that was much better and I think I had also but I think a lot of people had uh did not see me as like an Edinburgh comic or something around that point because things had (laughs) things had been really up and down before that uh, and so that went definitely better. And then Slutty Joan felt um, felt like it was really, um, uh, yeah, me talking about a subject, I guess. Yeah. Just just before we get on to that, you said yes. things had been really up and down before that. To what <laughs> to what are you alluding, Harriet Kesley? Well, my first show was, um, oh, I don't know. It, uh, because it was, I didn't know what a show was really. And I wasn't very good at... Um, I didn't really understand the Edinburgh thing, I think. Um, and so I I got quite bad reviews for it. Um, sometimes it would go really well and sometimes it wouldn't and I just didn't understand. And then about halfway through, um, I uh, I was like, right, I just need to be more confident. That's what I need. And then I listened to this um, Tony Robbins um, audiobook thing <laughs> on my way to the Pleasants. And... Um, I was like, right, you just got to believe in yourself. You just got to be really confident. And um, <laughs> there was everybody maybe from the comedy industry was in that night. And it went so badly. But I was like, I don't understand. I'm believing that I'm confident. Why, is it, <laughs> why isn't it changing? And I think one of the problems was I wasn't being myself. I was trying to be Tony Robbins. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that wasn't working very well in my favour, um, but um, but yeah. So that was um, that was really painful, and also I didn't know how to present it. Um, Stu Laws, um, brilliant Stu Laws, directed it, and he said, like maybe like the third show in or something. He was like, Harriet, you directed the whole show at the air conditioning unit, um, and I just because I just didn't know 
where to look or what I was meant to do while I was there. That's such a killer, but very confidently to the air conditioning. Very confidently to the air conditioning unit for seven minutes when I realised I couldn't believe myself into this show going well. Oh, it's so extraordinary how those kind of moments as well. Like I had a similar, it was kind of pre-Edinburgh, but I got taken on by my first comedy agent who then put on a showcase of all of their acts and everyone struggled because it was an industry audience. Everyone struggled, but I died really hard in front of everyone. And it's one of those moments, I mean, I haven't thought about it for years, thank God. But at the time, for a couple of years afterwards, I was like, "I I wonder what would be different right now if that particular one seven minutes hadn't gone so horribly badly (laughs) yeah it it takes people a while to trust you again I think because they're like oh god you put us through that hour where I don't know what was happening um and um and so yeah it just took a few a few years to kind of uh work out how to do it and I think it just it just takes some people a bit longer maybe I don't know I think I remember looking, because I'm, I'm, I often look at the reviews on comedy.co.uk, which kind of aggregates everyone's reviews from the year. And I was clicking through them, and I guess it was that one. That there were some pastings on there that you could tell at a glance. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that was a tough year. <laughs> um, so how did, you, how did you cope with that? Was that your debut? Yes. I coped really badly. I know, clearly, clearly, I'm, I just want to reiterate. I'm clearly this is couched within. You're on this show because I think you're absolutely brilliant. Thank and you. I, I feel like you could take me inquiring about this. I'm not like, oh, why are you so shit earlier on? No, but it, I, <laughs> no, absolutely. It was because I think I wrote, um, I wrote like quite short jokes, and so, and it was, it was all these different subjects from my birth until that point and I also I <laughs> I'm still completely charmed by the idea of doing my life till now it's so stupid I just thought that was what you did I just didn't know um and um <laughs> yeah and then the ending was like really extreme because me and Bobby had been through this thing and so then I was talking about that and I think actually that was the best bit because it was the most honest and interesting but um but I also was having a bad time my granddad had just died like a few weeks before and um I'd gone on um antidepressants and it was just everything was a really bad time and then this Edinburgh show no matter how many audiobooks I listened to it didn't help and I remember getting these bad reviews and then <laughs> I cried to um Kate Lucas um do, uh, you, you know Kate Lucas she's like yeah, yeah, the yeah. absolute best um <laughs> and uh, I was like because <laughs> it was like a few weeks in and you just go mad and everybody had all these stars on their posters and um I just cried to her and I was like I don't got none stars <laughs> just, <laughs> it's just making no sense but it just seems so important that you you have stars and I just was not getting any I think maybe in the last week I got um I got a couple but um but yeah it just um it just felt really painful it just was not what Edinburgh wanted and did you, like, how did you pick yourself back up from that? Did you go home with your tail between your legs or did you throw it off and go, hey, these guys are idiots, what do they know? And how long did that take? Like, what was what was the effect after, like, a, a tricky opener? Did it, like, what was what did, the, what did the whole of the next 12 months feel like before? Like, did you go back a year later? Yeah, I think I just, I think <laughs> I'm so, I just... I think that's one of the good things about dyspraxia or things. You're so used to making mistakes or like being rejected that it's like, it's fine. And then you just go back and you do it again and then you fall over again and then you just do it again and it just eventually you get there. Um, And so it just didn't, I don't think it really, 
stop me at all. It definitely didn't feel nice. Um, I think there was one review that started like, oh dear. Uh, and I think that was a good <laughs> it was a good sum up of what it was because people oh, just didn't and some it did go well some nights it went great but they were never in that night and um it just it was just in the afternoon I was also talking about things that quite a lot of the elderly audience did not want to hear about um but there were good jokes in it and it just it was just it wasn't a show I just hadn't learned how to do it and I hadn't learned how to uh, react if things were going badly I would just keep going and keep staring at that air conditioning unit um but um but yeah I just uh, yeah it never really kind of it definitely felt nasty but it didn't really um face me as much as it should have I guess I really um I love the idea that your that your dyspraxia or that you know call it the way your mind works possibly related to dyspraxia is just that you you're used to making mistakes like that's a that's a really great kind of superpower to discover within a condition that's out of your control yeah um, I, it's it suddenly occurs to me that likening you earlier on to mr bump is probably the worst thing you can say to <laughs> no, that's it's fine, probably I... a slur i think it might be a slur <laughs> yeah I'm sorry. yeah you're gonna be in trouble Stu. um i am um, no and i think it's it's there's so many comics i know that are so brilliant but it was so hard for them to deal with it going badly or getting rejected from something or wanting something and not getting it and uh I I just keep going I don't know <laughs> I don't know what it is I just yeah just keep keep going could you could you I'm just going to sort of hold you on that just for a second because I think that is such a it's such a valuable quality and certainly for you it's part of your kind of genetic makeup as a comic um, could like, can that be turned into a piece of advice? Like, could you, if you had to pep talk a comic, a newer comic who just had a horrible gig, is there some way that you could turn, you just get used to it <laughs> into something, <laughs> into like a bullet point? Yeah. Because I, I'm really interested, like I, I could do with some of that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because I, I, I know that the plan is, oh, f- ever failed, try again, you know, no matter, try again, yeah. fail again, fail better. Yeah, I'm like, I know that, but fuck off, I'm hurting. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How do yeah. you actually action that? Um, I think it's just, the, the thing is, it just never occurred to me not to do it, <laughs> which maybe is, is a mistake. And I think some people think I, sh- I should be having a, I should be, I don't know, doing like, I could be doing a proper serious job or I could be doing this and it's just that's never really an option. So I'm like, oh, I guess this is just how long it takes. And I think not rushing is is very important because if you rush, then you get things like my first Edinburgh show. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know how to put it into... Um, advice I think you just you just can't take it personally but I I think also the longer you do it the less the less these things happen and so at the beginning it like happens a lot or it happens and it feels like the end of the world but if you just keep doing it it just gets easier and easier and it just stops um uh you just you just know that you're you have enough good I, I don't know I'm talking myself into a into a, a hole I don't know I don't think I should be giving advice to people uh, at all 
that was love. The first half of that was just such great advice, and like the music was swelling in the background. <laughs> then I just <laughs> completely bailed out. Completely bailed out. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, just I just it's just heartbreaking when people take it to heart, uh, and so just keep just just you just got to keep doing it and not let it um, and not let it phase you. I guess. Yeah, if someone can start a review saying "Oh dear," and then I can still make a <laughs> can still be my job, then. You know, it just, who who knows? That's lovely. That's lovely. I'm, I'm frequently reminded, as now, I'm frequently reminded of um, uh, Zach Zucker um, mm. from Zach and Vigo, who I was with the boys in, interviewing them uh, for the podcast when they when uh, Zach got a one-star review and he was just <laughs> jumping up and high-fiving <laughs> and stuff. And it was just this incredible, massive over-acceptance of negativity. And like, just you could just, I was just like, oh my God, I wish I could inject that into my veins. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. Thing of just, who cares? Get on with it. Yeah, that's Great. brilliant. Yeah, it doesn't, you're going to keep doing it anyway. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So with reviews, do they, do they ever hurt do they, do they always glance off you or is the does is the hurt ever last like can you are you a comic who can remember the the specific wording of something that really cut you do you mean or has there ever been a moment is a better question is there ever a moment in a review where you read something negative and went ah oh, shit they're right um, I think it's more it's more a feeling like if somebody doesn't like you or they think you're bad that feels horrible um yeah but um I, here's a question: Have you ever found any useful criticism in a in a, in a swinging review? Um, hmm. I don't. I think you just you just. I I would read them and I'd look at them and. But I think I don't know. I don't think anything's ever. There's definitely been like bad points, but I think it's just you just learn it from doing it. Really, I don't think any of the the negative things have propelled me to do anything um differently or if they have it's been it's been wrong like you have to work it out for yourself I think uh yeah so to come back to slutty Joan and the idea of writing content now what's what's particularly what I'm particularly frustrated I missed that one I really love the um the blurb of it like uh, shaming slut shaming yeah and I noticed because I was watching a very old clip of yours where um from like 2001 or two um it can't be that i've forgotten how time works 2011-ish yeah um i think it's the one where you're in bath and phil k introduces you and mispronounces your name kelmsley i think he calls you um, loads of people still do that <laughs> just... it's, a, it's, it's not that outre a name surely yeah um, but in that one you were doing the material about having a rape alarm yes and you were it was really interesting because you started with some really fun silly stuff about where you were living <laughs> And then you got into this place yeah. of doing stuff about um, your fear of being raped. And yeah. and it was kind of, some of it was light, fluffy stuff and some of it was less fluffy and the audience were on side. And I was wondering how much by design you had kind of got them into a nice, cosy place of trusting you and then were prepared to go through some quiet bits to get to a big laugh at the end. A big laugh and a kind of meaningful point. Absolutely no design. Um, I think... I think someone had probably told me at some point that I shouldn't open with it, uh, which <laughs> was really That's good. That's design. That's yeah. design. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I don't know. It would just be like, oh, that's a thought that I've had. That's um, <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's a bit. And uh, yeah, I, it wasn't necessarily purposeful at that time. I just 
had this need to say things that I felt were important to me and the I think the sketch that you're talking about um came out of something uh bad that happened to me and then listening to an interview I I had this crazy job um when I started stand up um which I actually did with Heidi Regan um who uh yeah started stand up um a few years after me and so but we had this job where we had to be at our desks at 6 a.m and listen to the news until 2 30 and then um I'd go and have a nap and then go to a gig and it was um it was great because it meant you could travel but I was just getting no sleep and I was the listening job was to, to listen to the news yes yeah, so you'd type up the news and so it would okay, it was gotcha. media oh sorry I didn't say that I, <laughs> I didn't say what I actually did as the like job a covert operative in Cheltenham <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just have to keep listening <laughs> yeah sorry no and then I'd type it out that was the job and so then it would send it to like um uh, companies and things but um I was just listening to terrible things that were happening just listening to the news over and over again on little sleep with all the adrenaline of starting gigging um and um uh I just heard this thing which and so there were a lot of dark stories and things that I would feel very passionately about but I think maybe the rest of the world wasn't listening to terrible news stories on repeat all day and so maybe it was a bit more extreme uh than other people were um we're expecting and it took me a while to realize as well what that I would do those bits in clubs and <laughs> that wouldn't work and I'd be like but that's the material I've got I don't understand and then it would do well some places then other places they'd be like oh god why is she talking about this uh on our night out um so yeah I not by design uh, I would say but there is but there is just staying with the idea of design in terms of the, and I'm going to come back to that, that accusation of the fact that you've got really sharp jokes. Like you're very punchline dense for someone who projects this kind of, I don't mean projects, I don't mean it's fake, but like, so, hang on, here's a, here's a quote from a review. She can appear and I, <laughs> I, I have no respect for reviewers at all. And so I'm not going to accredit this because I didn't write it down. <laughs> uh, let's say it's Jay Richardson. Looks like Jay Richardson. Um, she can appear slightly and deceptively dizzy, but in reality, she's fully clued up with tack sharp, tack sharp comic sensibilities. And I think that's that's Jay or whoever it was. I think it was Jay. I should have written it down. Um, uh, I think that's that's really nailed it because you do you seem kind of dizzy or ditzy, but maybe it's the giggle. Do you know what I mean? That you kind of giggle your way through, but then. I, it was really funny as, a, as another comic having that sensation of going, oh, this is kind of fluffy and silly and clowny and I'm laughing. And hang on, it's like jab, jab, right hook. Because the, the you know, the... I don't think there's a way of saying this, but I'm worried I'm sounding patronising. But you've got really good jokes and I feel like they're concealed within silliness. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I, I just, I really love jokes. Uh, and I, I'm quite a nerd about jokes so I and also I've done enough gigs uh where if you don't have a punchline you're gonna have a bad time (laughs) so so it feels it feels very it's like a safety net you know like you need a punchline for sure so that you you can say things you know I, uh, I I suppose all I mean is yeah there are some acts out there who don't seem to be on board with that like, I love that description of there are gigs where if you don't have a punchline, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. For sure. Some people seem to not have punchlines. Yeah, but and, I, and 
but that's I think like that's just a different I don't know it's just sometimes you you some of the gigs you do you feel like you need punchlines to survive but also that's my favorite bit you know because that's when you know they're gonna laugh so when you did with um with Bobby who we keep calling Bobby comedian <laughs> Bobby Mayer <laughs> seemed to be on Comcom um uh you did a, a kind of it wasn't a double act but you did the kind of comedy central at the comedy store and you kind of you did a set together yeah. or kind of hosted together um and it was so great it's so funny seeing the difference between you and acts <laughs> like you're coming from such colossally different places um and uh what are the lines when he was talking i forget the feed line into it but it's the wording of oh yeah it's him he's sort of um you, you, it's you saying that you didn't take his surname because you don't want to be Mrs. Mayor. You don't want to be old Mrs. Mayor down the lane with the bees. And I was crying with laughter at the idea of, like, that's so specific, down the lane with the bees. And I just, I wanted to zero in on that and go, where does that come from? Is that like, like, just with regard to that, is that a thing you said and you improvised and it was like, oh, keep it. It seems so deliciously natural and silly. And it puts me in mind of like, you know, Mrs. Tiggywinkle era drawings down yeah. the lane with the bees. It's such a kind of country <laughs> picture book kind of thing. That's what it felt like to me to be like like an old lady. Like if you're a missus, you're a... I mean, also, like I just I don't really believe that you should go to a missus, so... I'm a muse, but um, but yeah, it just felt like that didn't feel like it was me at all to be like that kind of character. Um, so I mean, I have no idea where that came from. Um, but um, but yeah, it it's was definitely the bees. Where did the bees get <laughs> that, that picture book thing? Because God, that was such a vivid image and so silly. And what I loved about that, as as about a lot of your stuff, is it feels unguessable. That's why I love watching <laughs> it as a fellow comic because I don't know where it's going. I might have a vague idea of like the premise of the thing, but the fact that the one that the bit that made me cry <laughs> laughing was down the lane with the bees was just so delightfully left field. And I just wondered whether whether you are the sort of comic who, because I know you write hard, whether you're the sort of comic who would kind of try six versions of that and go, nope, Bees is the one, or write, write six versions of it and say, Bees is the one, or whether it just came out once and it got a laugh and you went, yep, that's, that's the right word. <laughs> I think the third one, I, yeah. yeah, I think the third one, that's just what it was in my mind. And then I also find it quite difficult to change things once they're in your, once they're in your brain, like it's, that's how I see it. And so it's quite difficult to change it and say it differently or add a, a bit that might make people understand better. Yes, it is hard, isn't it? When it's like minted in your brain, you're yeah. like, that's it, that's the thing. And someone goes, you should say it this way. And you go, no, no, but then it wouldn't be the thing anymore. Yeah, you don't, you don't, get, you don't get it. This is, this is what the thing is. But I think, I think that's true. Like quite often people are like, oh, you know, if you're a comic, you can guess at other people's punchlines and stuff. But I don't really have that with other people. I can't really guess their punchlines because I think what I would say is not what they, they would say at all. <laughs> Um, the next line, we'll move away from this bit in a second, but the next line, absolutely, again, is such a cracker of a joke. He said, I would consider taking the surname Gosling, you know, dress for the job you want. <laughs> and I thought, God, that's so good. Dress for the job you want is such a beautifully, like, we all know what that means. And you apply it to that situation and we all do the work in our own heads. And I thought, peach of a joke. But then and it struck me that because half the room laughed at that. 
and then you had to say, and I forget exactly what the line was, but you had to do that thing. You didn't have to, but you, your your next line was then what I think of as explaining the joke for the slower kids. Yeah, I don't remember what I did. What did oh, I? It's it's something like take the Selene Gosling dress for the job you want, and it was like the line was like, oh, I can't even remember. It was something like uh, the point. The the point I'm making is that it, it was something like because he's who I'd really want to marry. Oh yeah, it's, do you know what I mean? Where you need to. It's extra. Um, it's extra fun because Bobby's standing there. Yeah, What's so fun about it? I just wondered because that, like, for me, the whole of the joke is dress for the job you want. Dot dot dot. We do the work in our heads and get the laugh, but then when you then say because this is how the joke works, like, I wondered if that's frustrating to you. Sometimes I'm frustrated when I need to take them by the hand and go. You see, that was the joke. The rest of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever really. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it like that. I think. Um, I think. Uh, I think it has taken me a while to get across who I am and what I'm trying to say. And it, what's interesting is sometimes, if I was to do a joke that I wrote years ago, it would work so much better now because it's so much clearer who I am and I'm so much more but it's it just took a while to I Bobby says some things on stage which I think is really good where he says like come into my world um and I think that's quite um a good way of like putting it of just trying to get them to understand who you are um and I don't know if this has anything to do with uh, the original question but um but yeah sometimes just working out how to say it you have an idea, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it resonates with everybody else. And so sometimes part of it is um, like a mystery puzzle, like trying to work out how you get them to see what you're trying to say. Totally, totally. I had a thing at Top Secret last Friday night where I've got a bit, which is one of, I probably think of it as one of my best bits. And it worked, certainly one of my favourite bits. And it worked better than it ever has before in a club. I rarely do it in clubs. I'm kind of warming up for a thing. Um, and it worked better simply because I said, now this is complicated, okay, follow me through this. Yeah. And suddenly they all went, okay, right, we'll follow you through this. And and I thought, I must have done that bit a hundred times. Yeah, and yeah, never, yeah. And just, and just kind of afterwards been annoyed that it didn't go as well as I know it could have because they didn't follow it because it's too complicated. And I like the complicatedness of it and I don't want to dumb it down. And it never occurred to me say, pay attention now. And that's that's like a come into my world thing. It's just yeah. okay. This I've got a clever thing. It's a bit clever, clogs, but it's worth it. Just saying that they go, oh right, okay then, and yeah. and connect to it. Yeah, it's all these other things around um, jokes that you don't necessarily know at the beginning, especially if you're not somebody that's um, uh, pointing out things that everybody recognizes. Yeah, uh, like I um. I don't, I, I don't, I never know what kind of comedian I am, but I think I don't necessarily point things out and people go, yeah, that happens to me all the time. Uh, and so I have to frame it so they understand what I'm saying, yeah. if that makes yes. sense. Yes, totally, totally. I feel like I have the same thing. I feel like for me, I look like an everyman 
but I don't think like an everyman. Yeah. So I do. I like doing jokes about like a manticore or something where you've got to explain what a manticore is before you do the punchline. What is um, a manticore? Oh, it's a type of mythological beast. It's oh. a, a body of a eagle, head of a lion, tail of a snake, I think, or maybe a scorpion's tail, but I, I always got it wrong. Anyway, this bit. Like, <laughs> cool. I, you know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah. hey, let's, let's all imagine what it would be like from the snake's point of view if you're attached to the back of a man. You know, and it's like, that's a really dumb, whiffly bit, but I'll, I'll put it between two more relatable bits. Um, but um, the point I'm making is that, yes, I know what you mean. People who come on and go, like the Scott Bennett's of this world, you know, Scott Bennett, fantastic comic. Yeah. Did a, I saw a brilliant clip of his online recently where he'd done a bit about like his, him and his wife <laughs> staying in and wondering whether they've got the time left to watch a movie and whether they're going to make it. Do you know what I mean? Like she, yeah, I said, yeah, we'll put yeah. a movie on. And she said, look at the time. We'll never make it. And then he does the, you know, and he, we, said, we put the movie on. I said, come on, we're not old yet. We didn't make it. You know, and it's just such a perfect bit where everyone's roaring with laughter. I'm watching that going, God, yes, you've picked up a specific thing that happens yeah. all the time. As opposed to, is it one of those things where there's two types of comics? People that do that and go, hey, you know when? And everyone goes, yeah, we know when. Yeah, and then yeah, at the yeah. other end, maybe it's not tights, but at the other end of the scale, there's like, this thing happened to me and it made me feel like this. And yeah, or the self-absorbed comics like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that, maybe that's it. Yeah. Talking about their own feelings. <laughs> yeah. Total self-absorption. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know when I stub my toe in a very specific yeah. way and everyone's like, no, and you go, but I've got a really good joke about it. And they go, okay, we'll give you that. Yeah, I think that's it. I don't even, that's not even really a question. I'm just, I'm, that's made me go, oh yeah, that's one of the spectrums of comedy as well. That's one of the sliders from one end to another. Yeah. Um. You have a line uh, which I absolutely love. I don't know how old it is. Some people call me a slut, but I just find it hard to say goodbye. <laughs> I just love that because to me, that's a that's a, like that is a a that's a memeable joke, right? You could just write, you could put that in a font on a background and chuck it on the internet, and everyone, oh yeah, I'll share that. It's funny, like a memeable joke, like a you know good enough to be a pub joke kind of thing. Um, you could someone could steal that and put it on a greetings card. Please don't do that, listeners. <laughs> but also, what I love about it is when it comes out of your mouth, it is infused with loads of personality as well. Do you know what I mean? It has. It's. It's like. Oh, I don't know that joke. Discuss. I've got no question about it. But do you know what I mean? It's like it's really. It's just really kind of suffused with you-ness. It's just. Um, I just find. I find. I do find that joke very fun to say. Um, it's, uh, it kind it's kind of just a tag to another bit, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, I find, I just find it very fun to say it's, uh, it's a fun, um, a fun sentence. Uh, I, I think for me, it's the, it's the innocence in it. It's like sex meeting innocence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just find it hard to say goodbye. <laughs> oh, little old me. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, there's, you could do it with a smile and it's, uh, I think girls quite like it because I don't know, it's just, it feels, it feels like, um, a, a fun thing to say. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't really know why. Just on that, on that idea of girls like it, I was really, when I sat and watched your show in, in the Monkey Barrel at Edinburgh Just Gone, Ed, Edinburgh in inverted commas, Edinburgh in italics, let's say. Um, there was really exciting, fun female energy in the room. And I felt like you had that quality, which is like, ah, oh, champion of women. That's my dream is... It's it's not always like that. Sometimes it can be um, older men 
and uh, it's uh, definitely uh, girls is probably my favourite people to perform to, and I wish, yeah, that that's what I'd love, just like loads of girls, and obviously like anyone's welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I do. There's something specific about um, about talking about thing. I think I don't know. I think it's also because when I for quite a few years when I started there just weren't many other women in like I I once had six weeks in a row where I didn't have another weekend with another woman on a bill and uh it's just so it's it's it is definitely better now but it's still like this weekend I'm the only woman on um but um I think that is just also I mean I don't know what it is but it's just it's so nice when you're when you gig with other women and my most of my favorite comedians are women and there's just I think it hasn't they haven't um when I when I started looking for comedy when I first did my first gig there there just weren't as many female comedians and so it's it's really lovely to see your life ex- expressed I don't I don't know yeah, there's something about. Um, I, I totally agree with all of that, and it is brilliant now. How many, like, how many different voices there are? How many, how many extra? I remember just, I mean, purely as a podcaster, if nothing else, five years ago, thinking, "Wow, there are loads of people on their debuts who are going to be amazing to talk yeah. to in a few years' time." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but um, the, I suppose there's something about that kind of that buzz in the room. It was like. It had a really strong sense of you're telling it like it is for us, like that, and that by that champion quality, I mean they were like you are being um, sexy and goofy and vulnerable and powerful, and and really three dimensional in a way that loads of women were just properly going, yeah, fucking yes, thank you, in a way that like a bunch of men laughing at a man talking, you know, just kind of wanking jokes or whatever. <laughs> They're going to laugh, but there isn't that sense of championness. Of course there isn't. Of course there isn't that sense of at last. Yeah, I love that. Because it's been around forever and that energy is so exciting. Yeah, I think as well, because when I started, it was like, it, it was, I don't know. I was also very underconfident, but it was very difficult to, I was very worried about how I appeared on stage, like how I was dressed, like I wanted to kind of, disappear a bit um and so to actually be comfortable and be yourself and you also got told a lot at the beginning that you shouldn't dress a certain way or women will hate you like it's just this weird thing that people would say to me and it's just not true whatsoever and actually I love watching female comics that are wearing outfits that I like or just I do you know what I mean I don't know and so it's um it's all these weird like lies that you you have to go through and I think there's if you are pitted against each other there's something so nice about doing the opposite or like Mm -hmm. realizing that that's not true and and like everyone embracing it have you got a particular favorite joke of someone else's that you wish you'd written my memory is so bad to you that I'm trying to (laughs) I'm trying to think of specific things (laughs) I sometimes I just need a moment to think of um to think of something i um i someone whose um jokes i think are brilliant is um catherine ryan like she just oh, and you've done loads of tour support for catherine have you yeah and yes, she, go um, on. yeah she was so supportive from 
when I started and I started opening for her in these kind of 100 seater rooms and she'd just kill every night and then just would do bigger and bigger rooms and what's so lovely is she'd have these bits that people would request like she was like a rock star or something where they'd want to see oh my god I love see the bits like people would like that's how brilliant she is like so much with stand-up you don't want to hear the same bit again but with her I could just listen to her over and over and I think she's so generous and one of the things I think she really taught me is she'd she'd always stay afterwards and like chat to people for as long as they wanted to talk to her and she's um yeah it, it, I think it, it taught me a lot not just about stand-up but about how to be like a very gracious person um in a way that maybe some people in the industry aren't like she very much is that she's very supportive and she's also very um kind and she really has she has like a, a huge amount of star quality yeah. as well like it's not just that she kills on stage and she does kill on stage but what is that do you think as someone who's worked closely with her what what and maybe about Catherine or about anyone that has that thing what do you think that thing is where you see someone and go oh they're gonna go turbo I think it's just somebody you want to watch and you could just what you could just watch them do anything like there's there's quite a few stand-ups I can think of and they they make you it's a feeling as well like they make you feel good like Rosie Jones has that where you just she just has this energy and this this thing about her that you just you just want to be near her and you just you also want to see how they react to certain situations like I think Ramesh has that so much as well where you want to see him suffer because it's so fun to (laughs) to watch that like it's these these people's yeah they're just um they just exude like a a warmth and uh, a lovability and what do you want last question what do you want out of comedy like what do you what's your kind of best case future in, in comedy is it just that you keep working or do you have kind of drives or motivations towards particular projects or goals yes it's it's definitely that I keep working and keep working on things that excite me and interest me with other people I think that are brilliant that's that's something I definitely want and to be able to to do my own shows and have an audience for that like that's something that um is is I hope can happen um and I also think to have to be able to make your own projects and have control over it um and be able to yeah like like when we did Bobby and Harriet like that was so great to have something where you could completely be free like we were we were so lucky that we got the freedom from the channel to really mess around and really like be ourselves with it and I think that is something that's quite hard to achieve and so I hope to people trust me that I can do those kind of things and uh, run those kind of things myself even though I might not seem like um, I can (laughs) if that makes sense ordinarily at this point I would blindside you by asking if you're happy but I recall that you were six months pregnant and I'm not going to ask a pregnant because I don't know what's going on hormonally Uh, I actually am happy and I think that's something I would have that years ago I would have found that hard to answer yes but yeah I am (laughs) 
So that was Harriet Kemsley. Thank you so much to her for coming on the show. Extras at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And uh, you can find out more from Harriet. And, and well, you can't see her on tour, can you? Because she's about to have a lovely baby. Um, but you can certainly uh, catch up with her podcast with Sunil Patel. Why is Harriet crying? You can find that where, I mean, you're listening to a podcast. You know where to find podcasts. And you also know that if you if you can't find a podcast on a particular platform, you just go to another one. Yeah. So you know that. You're the expert, not me. Um so you can do that and you can go to what I assume is HarrietKemsley.com. And in a, a manner redolent of uh, Joe Rogan, I'm going to audibly tap whilst I work out what it is. At, at Harriet Kemsley on Twitter, at Harriet Kemsley on Instagram. And um, gosh, surely you've got a website. Come on, mate. Where's it? Does she not have a website? Here we are. This is me discovering this in real time. I don't think she's got a website. Bloody genius! I didn't know. I didn't even know you. You could not have a website, but apparently, I mean, you know. I tell you what, we'll look on Harriet's Twitter, and then this is nail biting, isn't it? No, no, it's HarrietKemsley.com. I just hadn't managed to find it via Google. How can your website not show up on Google? Other search engines, of course, are available. Um, but uh, she does do. I meant to mention this in the episode, but she does do Twitter really well in that she's funny and she is really supportive and retweetive of of things. Um, so that's Harriet. What? A, that's a crap note to end it on. Oh, she's she retweets things nicely, but I think you you get how great she is and how great I think she is from the whole of the episode. Let's not obsess about tiny little moments like that. Now, what you want to do, my sweet friends, is join the mailing list, because if you join the mailing list at stuartgoldsmith.com or indeed comedianscomedian.com, um, then you will, if you're not already on it, you'll get access as a little reward. You'll get access to the video of the the, the James Acaster Insider Zoom Q&A, which is like an hour of stuff. And I'm pretty sure that's the one on which he reveals. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me. But I think that's the one on which he reveals an aspect like a sort of a, an Easter egg from the uh, repertoire, the four specials he released on Netflix concurrently, con, con simultaneous, uh, simultaneously at the same time. Um, but there was an Easter egg, which even his legion of, I mean, they're not even fans now, are they? They're stands. Um, they didn't spot it. And he talks about that on that. So uh, join the mailing list and you will get bi-weekly messages from me written as if to people in my life, because that stops them being too kind of stagey and eggy. And someone told me recently, I say I overuse the word eggy, which is fair. So um, let's conclude that. And uh, I promise to whiffle at you, and this is very whiffly indeed. Apologies. Uh, there will now be no, no apologies. No apologies. It is what it is. There will now be uh, a, a postamble after these thank yous. Thanks to Harriet. Thanks to you for sharing the show, and particularly if you are someone who follows at ComComPod on Twitter and then retweets. Liking's fine, but retweeting really is the business. Retweeting the pinned tweets that I put out each week with a little video and an image, which I'm pretty good at doing consistently now. Um, to uh, to show off the guests I mentioned uh, in the ComCom Facebook group, which remains one of the sweetest little, uh, most positive and beneficial, benevolent, I should say, corners of the internet. Uh, I mentioned there that with the recent Jonathan Coulton episode, which is just terrific and he's brilliant, um, I mentioned in the Facebook group, oh, I'm really embarrassed, he's just retweeted me, but I think I got algo-bonked, which I <laughs> invented. I'm pretty sure I've invented the phrase algo-bonked. I'm pretty sure Twitter sort of suppressed somewhere, oh, he kind of tweeted too late or something. And as a result... There was no take-up whatsoever of my tweet about the Jonathan Coulton episode. He retweeted it. I got embarrassed. And I said in the Facebook group, hello, gang, can you all boost it? Suddenly everyone did. So this is me changing the 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 system now. I'm nakedly asking you each week, follow me at ComComPod on Twitter and then retweet 
the thing that you see, the little square, the yellow design that um, wonderful uh, Duncan put uh, together for us. Um, so do that, right? Do that. And do that with the Harriet one. If you enjoyed this, do it with that one. And just continue doing it from now until the end of, well, the environment, really. Oh, and just before the thing... Um, uh, just before the post-amble, I'm at the Aberystwyth Comedy Festival. So if you're listening to this on Friday morning and thinking, what shall I do with my weekend? Come to Aberystwyth and see me, I think, at 7.30 in one of the venues there. I've got a full tank of diesel uh, that I've specifically got for this uh, purpose. And I'm not driving anywhere before then. So I'll definitely make it to Aber and probably back as well. Thanks to Rob Smouton for the music. Thanks to Nathan Wood for producing and uploading the show. Uh, thank you to podcast consultant Peter Dobbing and Jake Crossland for the logging. Thank you very much, all of you, and you, and you specifically you, and I'll post down below in a sec. Bye for now. That was ludicrous, wasn't it? Wasn't that, that was, um, I'm all, so basically I was doing one of my resilience things yesterday for The Lancet. The Lancet, I should say, The Lancet family of journals and indeed Cellpress, their sister family of journals in the States. And um, that was really fun. But 10 minutes before it started, my wonderful LED lamp, which I have been using since day one of online pivoting due to pandemic, it popped. It just went. I walked into the room. I didn't even switch it on. It was already on. And I walked into the cellar from which I uh, do things now, most things. Um, I walked in and it just blew up. Not in an exciting way, but well, it was exciting because there was a sudden spike of adrenaline of like, holy shit, I'm already cutting it fine to sit down and be in the in the room at the right thing. And normally I'm like 20 minutes in advance, make sure everything works and then, you know, go off and have two nervous wheeze. But on this occasion... I walked in and it exploded and then I got there two minutes late to the thing, which is most unlike me. And um, bless her, <laughs> my agent, Katie, the people got in touch with Katie and said, we're a bit concerned he's not in the room. And she was terribly worried because I'm normally so reliable. She thought he must be dead. Um, but I wasn't dead. What I was doing was balancing on or balancing a tin of paint on a bucket on a suitcase in order to put my emergency replacement light that I had bought just two days ago. Uh, in order to dangle it from a thing. So that put, in a weird way, I quite like it sometimes when it's, I've said this about shows before, when something goes wrong, suddenly the show becomes all of us versus the circumstances. And it turns out that works as well when you are speaking to people about, you know, resilience and comedy and all of those latest obsessions of mine. Well, not latest iterations of my permanent obsessions. That's fair. Um, I tell you what I will briefly talk about is that I, I people in the Facebook group will know this. I broke the not the rule, the habit of a a, a career lifetime, uh, a life, yeah, the habit of a lifetime. I went and hung out in the green room of a, a club when I wasn't on the bill. It's the brilliant comedy box in Bristol, in which I mean I don't want to hex it forever, but I have never had a bad gig, and the last I don't know what ten have just been various flavours of amazing it's a brilliant brilliant room for comedy um and i was hanging out with a friend of the pod and of mine alfie brown he was watching some football because he was doing a show uh, that night and uh, i went and watched football with him another lifelong first really and it's just tremendously fun having a chat hey listen if you listen to my show chances are you're not that interested in football i gotta tell you guys <laughs> it was pretty fun particularly fun to be talking 
uh, to someone who cares passionately about it so that he can go, yeah, because the thing, whoa, like that, whilst kind of half watching the thing. That's almost certainly peaked and I fucked up the sound. Let's just look at, yeah, that's bad. I will leave it. I think it, I think it, it's, it kind of resonates. Um, so that was a load of fun. And then we went to, uh, we went to the comedy box where Alfie was on and Sarah Keyworth was on as well and, and being incredible and wonderful Clint Edwards was hosting. And I just hung out in the green room and I can see why people do it. It's great. All of the sort of insider feeling and none of the actual stress of doing a gig. Um, and uh, it was really fun. And then, listen, it's Alfie's story to tell. I won't go too deeply into it, but a sort of an awful thing happened. There was a sort of a, an, or, long story short, a really drunk lady and her really drunk friend were thrown out and like during Alfie's set, but they were very near the front and one of them came over and grabbed the mic off Alfie and then was sort of, I don't think she was sick on him, but she'd been sick all on all over herself. And um, and so he had quite a sicky hand because he had to grab the mic back and sort of she, she briefly mentioned this awful tragedy that had befallen her and uh, she was grieving and also hammered and unreasonable. And um, and Alfie just... I've said this is his story to tell, and I've told the, told the story in its entirety. Sorry, Alfie. I was so impressed with how... Not just that, like, he he didn't just kind of riff on it and whackity-schmackity-do. He kind of rescued the night by focusing on the impossibility of rescuing the night after she left. And yet, at the same time, was incredibly gentle and respectful to her... And, and and of her in her absence because she'd been kicked out by then, um, and and managed to he just kind of he just kind of coped and triumphed and flourished on all levels. Like he sort of talked about how the terrible things grief can can do to you, and ended up like sort of getting her a round of applause, but not in a mawkish way. It was just masterful. I've always thought Alfie is wonderful, and maybe maybe now I'm going to stop. Um, uh, cheerfully patronising him because <laughs> I'm a little bit older than Alfie and I've always liked to sort of uh, regard him as a little brother but to be honest uh, maybe I should start respecting him <laughs> maybe I should start respecting him as a man that's how good it was god imagine imagine how good you'd need to be at a tricky situation in a gig to make someone who's known you for 12 years suddenly start respecting you as a man my god and that fascinating and uh, not exactly Poloin story, but uh, appropriated. I mean, I was there. I did see it all happen, but I wasn't as idiot as he was. Um, uh, with that, I shall leave you. Um, that's quite enough of that. I'm going to finish doing this week's mailing list, which uh, angers me because it's Tuesday at 2.05pm and it's supposed to go out yesterday, but I am sticking to it broadly. As I mentioned in the mailing list, hey, this is fun. Um, I'm doing... Um, a, hey, this is fun. What a what a segue. Um I'm uh, I'm going to be interviewing Jimmy Carr several times at his book tour. He's released a book, which I'm part of the way through at the moment, and it's very, very readable. It's very funny and interesting. It's not just an autobiography. It's kind of self-help as well. So, hey, it's, uh, it's floating my boat. And if you're listening to this, it's probably floating yours too. Um, and he's doing a tour. He's doing a tour where he does an hour of stand-up. It's called Terribly Funny. The book's called Terribly Funny. He does an hour of stand-up. Then there's a break. And then I interview him and facilitate a Q&A. And we are doing that in Newcastle, Manchester, London, Birmingham, Cardiff, and maybe even somewhere else. Maybe it's just those places. 
That all happens starting this Sunday. So if you've listened as far as this, have a look for that and come and uh, come and do it. And if you are unable to come and do it and, and come and see that, then I'm hoping we're sort of negotiating this at the moment, but in a very positive way. I'm hoping to be able to record some of those conversations and then release them as a as a sort of ComCom pod special. Um, I think uh, that's that's looking hopeful. So um, don't come and see. It's probably sold out anyway. It's Jimmy Carr, isn't it? But um, but I'm really looking forward to that. I also have the opportunity to get a ride home in Jimmy Carr's car, which, I mean, I'm not one for gossip, but I've heard some fantastic stuff about. In fact, I probably shouldn't take him up on the offer because, I mean, it's, he lives in London, so it's not that useful to me, but it'd be quite fun to do if I could kind of make at least one of them useful. Um, but uh, I've heard a rumour about his car, which is so good that... I almost don't want it to be disavowed. <laughs> it would be heartbreaking to go, ha-ha, here we go. You know, it's like, it's not this, but imagine it's like there's a hot tub in his car. It's not that. But it's such a fun rumour that to open the door and go, oh, no hot tub or equivalent would be a sad day indeed. Bye for now. Hey, there's some crackers coming up. Great one with Adam Rowe uh, from the Have a Word podcast and comedy and a fantastic episode as well with uh, tanya moore from comedy and also some what's she doing she there's something she talks about that she keeps getting recognized from some acting show from comedy and acting let's go with that um those are both in the can coming up soon three or four more very very exciting and quite disparate uh, acts is that what that means different from one another don't know um distinct let's say distinct Acts. One of them isn't even an act. One of them is another mega curveball. If you're in the Facebook group, you'll know those are all coming up. But I won't tell you, the listener, uh, outside of the various little subversions of the community, um, until those ones are in the can. But it's looking exciting. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.